Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to our podcast, Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest, I'm excited to talk to this Velvet Machete creator, where she helps leaders confidently define and position their values so that they can maximize their influence, their focus, and their results. As a dynamic professional speaker and the CEO of her own firm, she's a multi-award-winning talent optimization firm that pioneers both science and marketing principles to strengthen brands and leaders from the inside out. I, I love that because that's one of our principles as well, is to develop leadership from the inside out. She personally understands what it takes to accelerate success as a former teen mom who evolved into a powerhouse businesswoman, having worked with international celebrities, executives, and Fortune 100 companies. When she is not helping individuals and employers share their unique value, she is, quote, momming so hard, unquote, embracing her inner gym rat in the weight room and entertaining her family and friends. While she is known for being a super extra dog mom and hot wing snob, she is most known for connecting personal, employer, and business brands via her proprietary Velvet Machete brand strategy. I love the Velvet Machete metaphor because that's consistent with our compassionate accountability leadership. And we're going to talk about that today with our guest, Amber Hurdle. Welcome, Amber. Thanks for having me, Dr. Gary. So, Amber, I'm fascinated by a couple of things that you said in there going from team mom to powerful businesswoman. How did you make that transition? That's a lot right there. Yeah. I boarded the struggle bus and I rode it into the station. <laughs> <laughs> Looking on it now at almost 41 years old in a couple of weeks, it, it seems so far away, but then it was certainly traumatic. It was lots of failure, lots of failing forward, lots of really trying to understand how I could position my value. And I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. I was just desperately trying to figure out what was going to work. And so that might have looked like, how can I pick up more shifts at the Applebee's? And that might look like, how am I going to get this job, even though I had to drop out of college? And the theme that I started with on this journey of understanding personal branding without knowing that was a thing at the time was there are certain key characteristics of mine that people are picking up on that are giving me these opportunities and giving me favor over my peers. And so I started honing in on, okay, they like my work ethic. They like that I'm good with people. They like that I'm, I have a willing heart that I'll do whatever they ask me to do with a smile on my face. And so I started really doubling down in those areas and amplifying that and the result was that people kept believing in me. People kept giving me chances. People kept giving me opportunities I wasn't necessarily poised for otherwise until the light at the end of the tunnel quit being a freight train coming at me. And it was actually getting me on the other side. <laughs> yeah. So was it a process or was it a moment? 
when you were going through life and all of a sudden it just kind of hits you that you're in charge of your life. You've got to take charge of it. And there, there's this realization, I think, for all of us that says, OK, I'm, I'm going to use the talents God gave me. I'm going to do the best I can with what I've got, but I'm going to work hard to do it. And I think for all of us, we call that maturity. There's a kind of a growing up process. Right. But was there a moment or a time or some things that kind of struck you through this struggle on this bus? Yeah, to be just totally honest, and for anyone out there struggling, I want them to hear this. It was just a sloppy mess for a long time. And it was stumbling and in the dark, finding my way and making a lot of mistakes. But there were a couple key moments. I remember one time being on my knees and just begging God to take certain things from me. And I believe that was a transformational moment. And then there was a moment where I woke up accustomed to feeling the anxiety and feeling the worry and how am I going to make this work? And that morning I didn't, I woke up and I was like, we're going to be okay. Like I actually have everything that I need to be successful. We are not desperate anymore. I always had hope. I think that's important for anyone is to look forward and look, look towards that hope. And it's always present PS. I don't care who you are, how bad your circumstances are. There's always hope. It was just another level that morning. Yeah. So I'll add to that with the hope is faith is having faith that you're going to be okay. And, you know, the, the, I think one of the most famous for those that know military history and Admiral Stockdale. Yeah. Right. Being in a prison for seven years and they asked him who made it, and who didn't. He said that it was the optimists that didn't make it because they were so optimistic. They're going to get out with a deadline that they would be out by July, they'd be out by January and so on. Eventually they would get despondent and pass away. They would die. They would give up. And he said, what was different for him is he had faith that one day he would be back with his family. And that's what you're talking about is a, 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 a ray of hope with a strength of faith. Absolutely. And that Stockdale paradox is something that I keep in my business too. It's confront the brutal facts, but never, never lose faith. Yeah. You have to, and that's very velvet machete, right? Like, here it is what it is. What will be will be, yeah. <laughs> but it can also be better. And and how do we get that path moving forward? And let's make this the present context understood as we go through this pandemic and we fight this virus and we're working with all these political situations and everything that's going on. We will survive. We will get through this. You know? Yeah, we will. And we have to have faith that we will. And you had a good night's sleep. You, you wake up one morning and you actually felt that you didn't feel like desperate anymore, right? You didn't feel right. this the weight of struggle. So then what happened? I continued to build upon the brand that I created. I continued to look for the opportunities. I was quickly advanced through the companies that I, that I worked for. And then um, I realized again, because I was just applying what I inherently knew to do, like what my gifts were. I was like, Ooh, let's try this. Well, come to find out I was good at this thing called public relations. It had a name. And so I decided to go back to college to get the piece of paper to say that I can do the things that I was already doing. And that was transformational, of course, because a degree, especially at that time, was very relevant. And it was hard. Again, that was another season. I was going to school full time. I was working full time. I was going through a divorce. I mean, it was just another good party in Amber's life. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, all's well that ends well. But 
I went from the season of working four jobs and two nights out of every week, like not even sleeping to kind of getting things back on track and then putting myself right back into a vortex of, you know, just real extreme pressure. But it was worth it because when I came out of that season, my career just took off. And because I had the experience, because I had the grit that I earned through, you know, coming out of teen motherhood, now I had two kids. There was just a lot of life experience there as well. And I had a reputation at that point. And so I like Jeff Bezos' definition of a personal brand. And that's what people are saying about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. And so what people were saying about me, and not to pat myself on the back, was she's a get it done kind of girl. If you want it done, give it to Amber. And so that just put me in great situations. And I began to trust my gut back to that faith. Mm I remember laying in bed one night and I just kept having like this presence, this like anvil on my chest. I worked for a university and I was kind of doing this little event planning thing on the side. And I just had this anvil on my chest, like you need to leave and you need to trust that this business is going to flourish. And I was like, I'm a single mom of two kids. I have a great job with great benefits and perks. And I mean, I literally live across the street from the university. Like this is crazy. No way. And I, made a deal with God, which I don't recommend, but you know, we do it. And I was like, okay, if you can, and I, I want to preface this too, with I'm not a inherently religious person. I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I do believe in God, but I'm not a Bible thumper for, I, I do too, but I don't believe God negotiates, but go ahead. <laughs> I know, I know, but this was my burning bush moment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I needed my burning bush. And so I went to sleep one night and I said, okay, God, if you can provide three months of my income, I will jump. I know I can do this in three months. I know I can get up to speed in three months. Hand to Jesus. The next day I go to a a lunch meeting with this community of women that I created at this university as a women's council. And one of the women pulled me aside and said, I need you to run my political campaign. And I was like, oh, there's no, I mean, I'm already working and I'm, you know, this business on the side. And she was like, oh no, you'd have to quit your job. And I was like, well, when's the election? And she's like, three months. months. (laughs) I'm not, you can't make this up. And I certainly would not put it on a podcast if this was not the truth. And so she paid my same amount to run her campaign. Did you look at the sky and say, okay, I get it. Oh yeah. I mean, immediately I was like, the answer is yes. Yes. There is no, I don't have to sleep on, like I slept on it last night is what I asked for. The burning bush popped up (laughs) in the middle of a Mexican restaurant and here we are. So with that, it then turned into, I helped her with her campaign. I made other political connections. I got political experience, again, enhancing that PR side of things and internal publics and that sort of thing. But then meeting the right people, not through that, but through other means, I ended up bursting into the country music scene. And I took my little, you know, garden party for wealthy women event planning company to planning events for record labels and international celebrities. And I mean, we did all kinds of stuff and we were so busy during prior to this year, the worst economic downturn in us history, we were blowing and going. And I was not only able to provide for my family, I was able to help keep up other families whose, you know, family members were vendors of mine and and that was really meaningful during that time. So for me, it was just like, okay, I went through being totally broke, totally desperate, didn't know how I was even going to feed my kids sometimes, had to go to friends' houses to do that, to 
now in a really terrible economic time for everyone being able to be a provider for many. And, and I just think that comes with faith, diligence, grit, and leaning way into your personal brand. Yeah. And, and from the personal brand, I'm all, and you've, you've said this before, is really focusing on what you do well, what your strengths are. And, you know, that's consistent with a lot of the work that we do with leaders and, and work with them to understand that there are certain things that we can do in our life. You know, that when I think about it, things that I do in my life that I can do mediocre. Yeah. And mediocre is good enough. Right. <laughs> I like to use this example when I tell a story where I, I say, OK, let me let me give you an example. I'll be training with, uh, you know, 20 executives and I walk across the room, pick up a glass of water, drink it, and walk back. And I said, so what do you think? And they're like, <laughs> what do you think about what? I said, well, what do you think about my walk? I just, I was really interested in know what you thought about my walk. And they're like, uh, I guess it was fine. You needed a drink of water. I'm like, exactly. So I'm not on a runway. I don't need to have a great walk. I just need to get from point A to point B. I love it. You know, there's so many things in our lives that you can just do mediocre. And as we were talking, as you and I were talking before, as recovering perfectionists, yeah, we have to recognize the importance of the things that we have talents for and building the strengths through education, training and experience. And we build that strength over and over and over again through what you said is through grit. And I like Angela Duck- Duckworth's definition of grit. It's passion and perseverance. Yeah. It's hard work towards passion and perseverance. And that's what you've done. So what do you do? And you've learned this about, you know, your personal brand by actually working on the inside, right? You worked on Amber. You dug deep to try to figure <laughs> out, you know, what, I, what, what can I do? What would I like to do? What would I want to do? Not just as, as a person, as a mom, as a spouse, as all these roles that we have, but in business. And you, you, you now get to do that. But what is doing that? What is done? What do you help executives and companies and, and politicians if you still work on that? Uh, what are you helping people do now with their machete? What do you call it? The velvet machete leadership. The velvet <laughs> machete leadership. I love this. Okay. So let's talk about that. What do you do? So I have a five-step journey that I take people through. And and I always start out saying, you know, I I found this through desperation. So, you know, it takes people so much longer who weren't thrown into a desperate situ- situation to really dig deep and go to U University and create that level of self-awareness. And so I don't want any pats on the back. It was really, truly for, from a survival standpoint for me. But the first step, and I know you really focus on this too, it is it is defining and articulating your value. We've kind of covered that, so I don't want to get too much into that. But whether you are an individual leader who needs to influence other people, or you're an employer brand who's trying to attract and retain top talent, or you're a business who's trying to acquire and retain uh, market share, you have to be able to define and position your value. And so you have to know who you're talking to, you have to know who your ideal audiences are. And Bringing it back to the whole concept of velvet machete, especially nowadays where attention spans are minimal, to put it you know generously, you have to be able to communicate in a direct way that captures people's attention, but you always have to deliver that direct message in a way that's appealing to that particular audience. Mm-hmm. So you and I, Dr. Gary, we can shoot each other straight. We could probably have a whole lot more machete and not as much velvet, and you and I would be just fine. Right. 
But that said, there are other people who most people are going to need that yin and yang balance of, of both. And maybe some people might need just a little more velvet than machete because of a season in their life or what's going on at work. So first, first step is self-awareness, create that personal brand, be very clear about what people are saying about you when you're not in the room so that you do attract the right people and opportunities into your world. But to your point also, when you say we can be a little bit more machete than velvet is because we know who we are and we know what we stand for. So the conversation that we have isn't an attack on me. It's an observation. I understand that you may say something to me that I don't like, but I can look at it and say, I need to kind of look into that and see how much truth there is to that. But it's okay because I know what I stand for and you are the same. People that feel attacked by some of that, by those words, aren't as strong on the inside from the inside out and they become crazy. (laughs) And that's the beauty of self-awareness is when you understand who you are, it doesn't really, you want people to, you want to position yourself certainly. So I don't want to say don't care what people think, but if people don't believe that you are who you say you are, it's not an attack. It's just like, now we can just be curious. Now we can detach from it. We can be an observer of what's going on and say, huh, I wonder why they believe that about me. Is there truth to what they believe about me? Did I give an indication Did I provide evidence of that? And if that is true, do I need to provide additional evidence to prove that that's not? Yeah. And I, what I've, I've, to your point is I do that. I self-reflect and then I go, okay, let me ask five of my closest friends. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I was told this. What do you think? And so you get feedback from other perspectives. Yeah. And that's what great leaders do. And that beautifully segues into the next step, which is. Step two. Step two. (laughs) building supportive environments. Ah. And so that's everything from your people environments. That is your work habits. That's your physical environment. That's your spiritual, mental, and your fitness environments. That This is once you know who you are, now you know how to build your life around you. And I'll give you an example. I have ADD. So unlike ADHD, where you're hyperactive, I just always have another conversation going on in my head at all times. So at my most vulnerable, I have distractibility problems. So I know that my environments have to support that, right? So the people that I surround myself with have to accept that and and understand, not give me excuses. And it's not that they can't hold me accountable, but they need to not get easily frustrated with it. So marrying somebody who doesn't jive with that would probably be a bad plan, right? Um, the way that I set up my office is very clean. It's, it's easy to get to things. My digital environment is all a certain way. And so I can lament that I have ADD and poor me and you know nothing's going to work out for me. Or I can just say, you know what? We're going to bubble wrap that. That is, a, that is a vulnerability. It's not a weakness. Mm-hmm. That is a vulnerability. It's not a weakness. And, and wh- how I describe this to clients is, Fine China gets shipped across the country every single day. That is not weak. It's beautiful. It just happens to be more vulnerable in motion. And so we need to put bubble wrap around that to get it to its destination safely. And so we don't talk about weaknesses. I think everybody's amazing. You have strengths that God gave you to show up in this world in service to others. And we'll just bubble wrap everything else. It's fine. Yeah, we don't talk about weaknesses. We talk about limitations. You know, uh, I have a limited walk. I can't, I'm not great at that walk. So, but, you know, to your point, and I want to make a point about uh, ADD, ADHD, because I've, I've got a 
very good friend of mine who's been working on this for 50 years. We met in the Army in 1977 on the tennis court. Dr. Jim Poole is an expert in child and adult ADHD and ADD. And some important facts, he, he has a, a, a sheet of 34 reasons why you should be happy that you're ADD. And at the very oh, it's a superpower. That, say it is a superpower. People have to see it that way. The first superpower is on average, ADD individuals have an IQ 30 points higher than average. Okay. So yes. you take all the ADD and think about it. Your brain is, he has actually rebranded it from ADD to fast brain. He calls it fast brain. And if anybody's interested in this, you can look it up, fastbrain.com, F-A-S-T-B-R-A-I-I-N.com. Two eyes. Why? Because he's got ADD and he was writing it one day and he wrote it really quickly and he registered and he registered with two eyes, Fastbrain. That's awesome. So he, <laughs> That's so perfect. It's so perfect. And when he talks to kids, they'll ask him, Dr. Poole, how come you've got two eyes? He says, because I got ADD and that's the, you know, I, you know, and he gets all excited about it. The kids do. So, you know, I wanted to throw that in there for my good friend, Jim, but also uh, for anybody out there listening that's got ADD, that uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. It's being able to get control of that superpower because a superpower without control is out of control and it can drive your life. And what you've done with your, your business, with your work environment, with and being vulnerable enough to be able to, to state it, that's an important part. Of, of recognizing the vulnerability of limitations, I tell all my clients, I'm not good with detail. You're going to get stuff from me that's going to have the wrong date on it, the wrong day. That's going to have some misspellings in it. I, I try to check everything five times. I still make mistakes. Look, if you don't want to hire me because I make a mistake in an email, I'm the wrong guy. Right. So agree. You have to own it. If you want access to my mind, if you want access to my strategy, if you want access to my ability to lead you through these success pillars, fantastic. But if you're going to get hung up because I have a period in the wrong place, like yeah. go find somebody else yeah. that can not eyes and cross T's because that's not always going to meet. If I can slow down, great. But you don't want me to slow down because then I'm going to miss on the strategy. But so to your point, so teen motherhood taught me how to create a personal brand ADD taught me how to create environments. Ah, and so yeah. I, again, just start applying these with my employees over the years and then my customers and my clients and, and, and it's just a proven process. So I'll, I'll weave through the next three pretty quickly because they all kind of go together. But until you understand yourself and until you understand how to fortify yourself so you can support and prove daily that personal brand, because you don't want to be known as somebody who doesn't follow through because your environments don't support you who you really are, then you can start saying, okay, well, now I have these people in place and I have these processes in place. Now I can learn not only how do I communicate, but how do I need to switch up my messaging? So I'm going to communicate how I communicate, just like Nike communicates how they communicate. But Nike's going to message differently to a competitive athlete than they would a soccer mom who's wearing athleisure wear to Target. Right. Same brand. Know your audience. Know your audience. So is this is this step three? I want to make sure. Step this, three is communication. Step yes. three is communication. Yes. Okay. Is master your communication. And so once you can do that, and only once you can do that, and you have to be self-aware, you have to have your environments, and mm -hmm. then you start working on communication, now you can start building your engagement. And so that is really about, I know what makes me tick. I'm acutely self-aware. When I do that, now I can see and harvest the greatness in others. And with my communication and understanding how to 
adapt my communication and adapt my velvet machete. Now I can engage other people and rally support around my ideas. Mm -hmm. And then once I do that, now I can start to guide and focus people and processes towards success. And that is really about building your influence. So it can be said that I personally use these five strategies, not knowing what I was doing (laughs) at all. (laughs) And then I took them into my leadership in corporate America. And as I oversaw the employee happiness of Gaylord Opryland and all the attractions and really had to get the director level and the executives into a system Mm -hmm. that helped them keep that level of engagement that Gaylord Hotels is known for so that they can then provide the service that they are known for to their, their guests. And even then I didn't have a success path. I just did these things. I was known for communication and engagement. But once I started working independently and my consultancy started finding success, I knew I had to create a path. And so that's how we ended up here. And that's the Velvet Machete leadership journey. Yeah. So what I see is that the crossover from the self to the engagement, the leadership part of it is that communication piece that connects your personal value, right? To the value and the strengths of others that can then collectively bring people together to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve, whatever goals or mission or whatever. And, and being able to communicate that to each other so that mm-hmm. we, we see how we overlap with the first two steps. Cause each member has to understand their strengths, limitations and value that they bring to the team. Right. Sure. And, and yeah. contribute. Cause I always, I always say that there's three components of a team. There's just three components. First there's trust. You know, do I trust you? Do I have, a, is there a common goal? And then what value do I bring to the team? What's my complementary competency? So when I look yeah. at a team, I look at those three things and I say, what am, I could have a lot of trust with you and I could have a common goal. But if we don't have complementary competencies, then we're either off in the wrong direction or we're doing exactly the same thing. So one of us isn't needed. Right. Absolutely. One thousand percent. And I like to say that on this journey, you go from a me mentality to a we mentality. Yes. And oftentimes in manager roles, and I love how you say you take good managers and make them great leaders because they they come from the me world and then suddenly they're thrusted into this leadership position with very limited training or preparation and they go from, well, these are my peers to now I have to lead them and they're self-focused. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really to your point about really being able to understand everybody else's gifts and what they bring to the table and being able to leverage that towards a common goal. And when I wake up in the morning and I know that I get to use my gifts, my talents, my experience for something greater than myself, I am more apt to put in discretionary effort, to show up to work on time, to do the things that I'm well positioned to do, as opposed to just showing up and, you know, aimlessly drolling through the day. Yeah. Yeah, when we think about it, this is a common topic that we have in this program about people that are the best salesperson, the best technician, the best whatever, and they get promoted and why it's often a disaster. And yeah. actually, uh, Gallup says that 84% of the time we pick the wrong person to promote, 84% of the time. And uh, only 30% of the people that population actually have the, the talent that can be developed into leadership positions. Everybody has the talent with a growth mindset to get better at leadership. And that's what this program is all about. But only 30% actually have the capabilities and the, the uh, internal talents 
to be good bosses and great leaders. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a limited pool. But when we think about it, you take a 20-year-old, take a 25 or 30-year-old that they're thinking about promoting, and you look at the, the life experience that they have. The immediate life experience is they're getting the opportunity because they've done such a great job as an individual contributor. Right. And what that means is they've done a really good job of completing tasks, getting the work done on time, doing it in some profitable way, engaging customers, whatever it might be, if they're in service, support, or in sales. There are some transferable skills to management and leadership, but very few. And let's go back into school. And I always love this. The best leaders are coaches. The best leaders ask questions. They don't answer questions. But you've had somewhere between 12 and 16 years of raising your hand in a classroom when a teacher asks you a question. I know the answer. I know the answer. I know the answer. So what happens? I get into a leadership position. Somebody walks in my office. They ask a question. What do I do? I raise my hand and I give them the answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I've been conditioned for my whole yeah. life. I've been conditioned to have the answers. I've been conditioned to complete the tasks. And now I have to learn how to engage human beings in compassionately accountable ways, a velvet machete, as you put it. Mm-hmm. By going from the inside out, know what I stand for so that when somebody asks me a question, I don't feel like I have to have the answer or I'm a loser. Right. Because you have lots of people around you and your people environments who have answers. And that's such a great to be known as somebody who might not know, but know somebody who knows is a great position to be in. But they haven't been they haven't taught that for 25 or 30 years. They've been taught just the opposite. Oh, Dr. Gary, I, we could have a whole other podcast episode on how everything, just think about the last 20 years and how much technology has advanced and how we consume information has changed. And they still have the desks set up and the learning environment set up like is the 1800s. Yeah. Now my son has a personality profile fairly similar to mine, except for his, his social drive is higher than my independent drive. So I, I tend to put tasks over people. He'll put people over tasks, even though we're both very much people person. He is not cut out. He is not well suited for a high school environment. Now, is he successful? Absolutely. He's completely social. There are no major problems. But you put that kid who is an independent thinker, who knows how to mobilize people, who knows how to come up with solutions without having to. In fact, he's just not even going to think to raise his hand because he's just going to blurt out the answer if, you know, if it's a smart one. And then he'll challenge you if he doesn't like your answer. He is not well suited for high school, but brother, he's going to do just fine in the real world. And I have to keep reinforcing that at the school level and with him and and keep that balance in place. So parents, they're going to be okay. <laughs> so here's, yeah, I want to add to that because I, I, I agree. And I have, I have a, uh, a case study for that. First of all, I, I like Stephen Covey's uh, from the seven habits of highly effective people as a quote in it that says, see your children in terms of their potential, not their behavior. Yes. So that's the first thing. So I'm going to, my, my son, Mike might not want to know this, uh, hear this. If people listen to it because he's the president of a company and people might hear this when mm-hmm. he was in his twenties was struggling. Okay. Like you and other people who are struggling, but we always knew his high level of emotional intelligence and his ability to be creative and connect with people was going to be his superpower. Right. And, uh, he didn't do great in school. He got through college. He didn't do great in school, you know, but that's because he was more interested in the social aspects of it, getting to know people and, and doing all that stuff than he was in the academics. And that's, he got through it. That's great. Right. He was average. He had a mediocre academic career. Spoiler alert. Nobody's paying attention to your transcript and your career. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
But at age 34, 35, he sold his company and now works for them as the president of that branch and is doing great. And his employees love him because of the emotional intelligence and the strengths and the talents, all the things that you're talking about. And I, I, he was borderline ADD and all that stuff. And I just say that because I want parents to know that typically, I don't know when it struck you, but typically people with ADD and, and that kind of challenges and struggles that you might have, it takes them into their 30s to figure out how to use this brain because our brains are continuing to develop, grow, and change up till about age 25 or 26. Yes. So it takes us a few more years. And a little bit longer for men over women too. So there's a a little bit there. Yep. Derek is ADD, ADHD, and he wouldn't care me saying that because we're very open about it. We're kind of proud of it, to be quite honest. But he already has a PhD in, in socializing. Yep. He has been able to maneuver anywhere from three to 20 kids at a time since the sixth grade, we're that house, there's always something going on. You know, his, his, his desire is to see what's good in other people and then to bring those people together to the extent, I mean, this kid has some um, serious empathy to the extent that on two different occasions, his friends wrote papers about him and how his ability to bring their friend group together changed their junior high and high school experience. Wow. So I'm like, mm, math's not his jam. He's going to be okay. Proud mom. <laughs> math's not my jam either. <laughs> and give him the freedom to recognize, help recognize that and not have the pressure of academics. We have to still be mediocre. You got to get through that. You know, right. you, you got to learn how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. I mean, you got to do that. You got to learn how to Please read. get degrees. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's really awesome. So I'm going to ask you the final question. Okay. Because we could talk for days. Okay. And the final question is always, this is this could be an interesting one for you, right? as you've talked about your past and your history. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Amber 20 to 25 years ago, what would that letter say? The first line would be, it's going to be okay. Yeah. The second line is going to be, keep going. And then I would probably back into why that was going to be possible. Mm. And I think at that time, it's, you know, this is what I hang on to in 2020 is just everything's crazy and everything's uncertain is that no matter what you make up in your mind as what you think you want out of life, it's going to be a hundred times better than that. And so don't get hung up on what you think you should have or what you're supposed to do. I often tell my clients, they'll say, well, I should. And I'll say, stop shooting on yourself. Like stop. Thank you. Because if you just keep moving forward and you are doing that with positive momentum, you're going to realize something that is beyond your comprehension and you would have never had the nads to dream of. Yeah. Keep going. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Just a great message. And uh, like you said, maybe we'll have to do this again because it's been uh, quite a pleasure. And and, uh, I can see a lot of similarities in the work that we do, but a lot of differences that I really, really like the message and the way you talk about. When I first saw the Velvet Machete thing, I was like, oh man, this is going to be about violence. (laughs) But no, it's not. It's cutting to the truth and doing it with, with, uh, with some empathy. And that's, yeah, that's what I like about it. So Amber, thank you so much for being our guest today. I uh, really appreciate the wisdom and look forward to getting this up on the website so people can hear it. I'm Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate, 
accountability. And thank you again, Amber Hurdle, for your wisdom, insights, and thoughts. We will take that forward and apply some of that to our own lives. We appreciate it. This is uh, Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Be safe and be well. Take care. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.